Welcome to Sundial on WLRN during our winter membership drive. I'm Elisa Baena, a producer on the show. In a fast news cycle, we like to slow things down with guests who are creating new and exciting things in South Florida. Today, we're sharing our conversation with Kenneth Jessel that was recorded in September. We had a lot of fun together, and we expected him to nerd out about his students, but didn't expect him to nerd out about his collection of antique silver. More on that later, but for now, I'm going to let our host, Carlos Frias, take it from here. When the president at Florida International University looks around campus, he sees himself and a lot of the students. Not just because he's a Fort Lauderdale kid. Kenneth Jessel was the first person in his family to go to college, just like 20% of undergrads at FIU. Now he's the one in charge of making sure the university supports them. Kenneth took a different path to the top job. He has a finance and real estate background. He spent 26 years at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton. He handled the financial affairs for the university as a senior VP. He spent most of his time behind the scenes. That changed last year at FIU. The school's longtime president resigned after allegations of misconduct. Kenneth was asked to serve as interim president, then president. Now, less than a year later, FIU is making news again, but for very different reasons. The university moved up in the annual U.S. news rankings. Clearly, Kenneth and FIU are doing something right. So let's talk to him about his vision for the university. Welcome aboard, Ken. Carlos, good afternoon. So nice to be with you. I think we got to give you a round of applause, UNFIU, right? The uh, UN, UNFAU, which you have a, a long history with also, were the, the only two public state universities in Florida to move up in the rankings. Yes. At, well, there were a few others, oh, but, but uh, in terms of South Florida, absolutely. Those were the two. Yeah. My, my gators dropped down on the <laughs> list, but, uh, but we don't have to get into all that. But uh, I'll give you your moment. You got your moment, so... So, obviously, we are very excited on campus uh, mm-hmm. to be ranked number 64 public university in the country by U.S. News is quite an accomplishment. And that's a rise of eight spots over last year. Well, well let's go into that a little bit. I'm curious, uh, you know, because I know that, that uh, U.S. News and World Report, you know, they make a, uh, everybody really pays attention to those rankings. And they had a little bit of a shift on how they value, um, you know, what makes a great university, what makes a you know, a ranked university being higher or lower. Uh, talk to me about that, about like where it is, what it is about FIU that really is, is catching fire, you know, is really keeping them moving up the rankings. Well, it's really not so much what is new at FIU as it is what's happening with the ranking agencies. Hmm. So we have always been focused on, you know, student success, not so much inputs, but making sure that all of our students are successful. We've been focusing on a quality education. We've been focusing on uh, very, very high graduation rates for our students. We've been focusing on the careers of our students, their ability to obtain great jobs, create great jobs in the future. And we're seeing that the ranking agencies are now focusing on outcomes and performance rather than uh, inputs and legacy. And that's why you've seen a lot of shifts in, in, in scores over the last uh, few years. Oh, interesting. So, so the rankings really are reflecting graduation rates and, and GPAs and that kind of thing? They're, they're not so much looking at GPAs, but they are looking at graduation rates. They're looking at our ability to educate underrepresented populations mm-hmm. and making sure that they graduate and are successful. Most importantly is the comparison of salaries five or ten years out 
and how the salaries of our graduates compare to the salaries of other uh, uh, college university graduates. And that's where FIU really shines. Oh, that's uh, a good selling point. Come here, and you'll and you'll make a good. No, you'll have a good exactly. Salary. You there. There's a ranking that came out uh, two years ago. Degree choices, and last year we were ranked number eight in the country wow. of all publics and privates. Wow. And they look at two key factors. Number one, the payback. How quickly do you, as a student, recover your investment in higher education? And then 10 years out, how do you perform salary-wise to all other college graduates? You and, know, I think you bring up an interesting point that a lot of kids are going through, especially now that, that college begins to feel more, more unaffordable for folks. And there really is, the, is this idea of, about an investment. Like, what kind of return on investment do I get from going to, say, I'm a Miami kid, staying at FIU versus going to... Uh, Tallahassee at FSU versus leaving the state, you know, or going to an Ivy League and paying, you know, $100,000 a year. Uh, people are doing that math now. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. You don't have to spend a lot of money to get an outstanding degree. You get an outstanding degree taught by the best faculty, hmm. faculty that are doing cutting edge research, faculty that are so committed uh, to their students. And we know that just because of how well our students perform in the marketplace once they graduate. So it's not just our saying it, the evidence is proving it. And that's why you're seeing these modifications in the rankings to focus on what is really important. And that is student success. How well do we provide access and how well do they perform once they graduate? And there is no better Uh, measure, in my view, of a university or a college than the success of their students. Yeah. It strikes me that you're you're a numbers guy. So like you are you are paying attention to these numbers uh, very intently because, I mean, there's different like we mentioned, you know, in the introduction there, there's there's kind of two paths. Like I think in journalism, you come up through the writer path or you come up through the editor path or the page layout kind of path. And and I'm and you know we have a lot of university professors that do come up the humanities track, but you came up like the financial track. Tell me, does that does that give you a different perspective when you're looking at not just making a university successful, but having it make sense to a student, a prospective student? I, I believe the answer is yes. Uh, certainly, I have a, a, a an academic background. I have a PhD in finance. Mm-hmm. That is a research degree. Uh, but spending time uh, on the finance side really elevated you know, my ability to improve the educational experience. Because at the end of the day, we have to provide a quality product and mm. do it with limited resources. Yeah. And so we're always looking at ways to innovate, ways to uh, get efficiencies without sacrificing quality. And in fact, the way we do it, we're able to improve the quality uh, for our students. So knowing the numbers is a big plus in my view. It certainly has been a big plus for me on both you know, the academic side and the administrative side. You know, I, I want you to look at FIU like a student for a minute. Um, you came here in 2009, right? Two, and 2009. You, and you had been at FAU for a career. I mean, 20, 20 plus years in a place is, a, is almost a career in a place. 26 years. Yeah. So then you get here what made you decide that this was going to be your next move? This was going to be the place where you wanted to be? You know, it's, it's uh, interesting. Uh, I had known the former president for many, many years mm-hmm. because we were in the same state system. Mm-hmm. Uh, we served together on the Council of Academic Pro- Vice Presidents while we were ser- both serving as provosts for our institutions. 
And when he accepted the position of president in 2009, he asked me to come down. Why mm -hmm. don't you think about FIU? And three or four times I said, no, I'm not really interested. I've been here for 26 years. Uh, you know, I'll retire here. Uh, so I'm not, I don't really have an interest. But he finally got me to come down for a lunch and to meet with just a few of his key administrators mm -hmm. and some students. And I was literally blown away. I was so impressed with uh, the students that I met with. And it was only a few, uh, but they had such different backgrounds and they were hardworking. Uh, they had a great vision for their future. They came from very modest backgrounds. Uh, I also met with some of the faculty. Uh, I could see their commitment to their students, some of the administrators, and a few board members. And that night, I went home to my wife and I said, Lori, I see something very special at FIU. Well, it's interesting because I think uh, a school like FIU, I know FAU a little bit as well, working at the Palm Beach Post mm -hmm. for years, and FA FIU is incredibly, it's, it's a commuter school. It was thought of as a commuter school for a long time, but it's also a place where, you know, kids that don't want to leave, that want to stay home or, or feel comfortable in Miami and kind of want to make a life here and come from very diverse backgrounds, come from like first generation immigrant families. You know, I know that I can, I can guess that a lot of your students do have like uh, are kind of first generation immigrants um, kind of making their career in, in, in colleges. And, and I imagine that that was very, that was very different from you as from, from what you were coming from. It, it was. The demographics of the student uh, were completely different. And FAU has amazing students as well. But I saw this as something special and a very unique opportunity. So I made the decision very quickly uh, to come to FIU. That was FIU President Kenneth Jessel speaking with host Carlos Frias in September. Still to come, how Ken became the first member of his family to go to college. Welcome back to Sundial on WLRN during our winter membership drive. I'm Elisa Baena, a producer for Sundial. Let's get back to our conversation with FIU President Kenneth Jessel. He joined Carlos Frias in September. Ken, like we were saying before, you're you're a, a Lauderdale guy, right? And but you're also you were the first in your family to go to college, and I I can kind of empathize or sympathize with this because my my dad, you know, my late dad was, uh, you know, he went to a one room schoolhouse, you know, with, with sixth graders and first graders all in one in Cuba, and my mom just went to secretarial school to be able to you know run the numbers at a photography business, and it was a big deal when you're the first one going to school of your of your household, you know. There's a lot of things you have to do for yourself that you're folks can't help you with. I'm, I'm curious what that was like for you, thinking back, I know that's uh, thinking back well, but to, to kind of be the first and how that was received for you. Yes, and it is thinking back a very, very long period of time. <laughs> I just uh, celebrated uh, in, in uh, uh, June my uh, 50th high school uh, graduation in Fort Lauderdale. Where did you go to high school? Fort Lauderdale High School. Okay. <laughs> the original. Oh, so really? It really is uh, Fort Lauderdale as home. Uh, you know, it, it really takes uh, a, a great teacher or a mentor uh, and parents that encourage you to do your best and to be your best. Mm. In my case, I had uh, a wonderful government teacher, uh, Lorraine uh, Link, in high school, the senior year. And during that time, you had Watergate going on. Oh, of course. And so we right. would 
the, you know, the Senate was broadcasting all of the, the uh, hearings and you had conversations about, you know, the House of Representatives, what they were going to be doing. You had, you had discussions about the Supreme Court and, and the decisions regarding uh, forcing the, the, the uh, uh, giving away of, of the tapes, uh, turning those over. And, and all of the, the interactions between the executive branch, legislative branch, and judicial branch so uh, civics, of government. So civics were really interesting it, to you. It was very interesting. And that teacher just made it so interesting and that it was so important mm. for someone to really understand the values of, of our great democracy here. So when I went to FSU, mm -hmm. I wanted to be uh, a government major. So it was government political science. Oh, wow. So that really, it really touched something it, off in you to, to it, want to study. It, it really did. And it just goes back to just a few teachers that you have uh, that can really make a difference, mm -hmm. not only as educators, uh, but as as mentors, you met, you mentioned your mom earlier. You you've lost your you lost your mom, but it sounds like you were very embedded. You were very connected to your family. Yes, uh, to the very end. Very very blessed to have uh, just under ninety three uh, years uh, uh, with her. Oh, amazing! Uh, so and and she was truly a mother to my wife because my mother my uh, wife's mother had passed away when she was just a teenager. So it was a great uh, family relationship. Uh, but you need that type of support and encouragement. Uh, all the way through life. And I'm sure you've experienced the same yourself. Sure. And in, in college, I had great uh, uh, teachers. I can still recite the names of my professors in, in most of the classes. Amazing. Uh, that really made a difference. And then I had an opportunity uh, to go into business. Let, had, let, let's give oh, one of those. Let's give one of those professors some love. Who who's one that that you took a class that really oh, changed your perspective? Well, there's nothing like going to college to having your mind yeah. opened up in a way. So, the, so there are many, and sadly, because it's been so many years uh, that I graduated uh, college, uh, they're all deceased. But but Paul Picard. Uh, what did uh, Paul? What did what was Paul's role? His was American government. Uh, and then uh, John Vander, uh, Vanderoff taught British politics. Uh, Craig Amazing. Angelo start, uh, taught party politics. I mean, just great teachers uh, that made everything exciting. And, and, and you were in kind of like, the, like this, uh, you know, this place in Tallahassee, which was you know, the, obviously the seat of, of government in Florida, which I'm sure that those things, uh, they were really impressed upon a student body, I would imagine. A absolutely. And your, your dad was in public service, right? Yes, my dad was uh, a police officer for Broward County uh, Sheriff's Department. Wow. What, what was that like? And, and your mom was, uh, was a homemaker? Mom time? was a homemaker. So what was that like? I mean, was your dad, like, was he on the street? Was he on a beat? Was he a... He was, he was uh, primarily uh, on the beat mm. uh, in Broward County, and it goes back many, many years. Uh, mom was always home, so we always came home to, uh, to someone uh, at the house, someone that was, you know, cooking every day. Uh, and a lot of people obviously today don't have that. Yeah. So that's a real blessing. Yeah. Uh, tell me about some of the ways that you're, uh, what, what did your dad think? Because he obviously, I mean, to be a, a police a police officer is a, is a post high school career thing as well. Like what was, what was the, the feeling about going to college in your home? And were you an only child or? I have, I have an older brother and a younger uh, sister. I see. And I know that they were, were uh, very proud of the fact uh, that I went to uh, college and were always uh, very supportive uh, of that. Yeah. Uh, it was a it was an adjustment for sure leaving Fort Lauderdale where I I had always lived and in fact except for my time uh, living in Tallahassee as an undergraduate student and a graduate student I have 
never lived outside of of South Florida. Oh wow! But so South Florida is really home. I have a lot of family members. I had. Uh, 15 cousins on both sides, so it was a lot of fun being down here. Oh, that's great. I have about uh, the same them. number, yeah, so, about 15. So, it's a, yep. so when we get together, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun uh, being, with, uh, being with family. But going away almost 500 miles, even the climate in itself, that first winter in Tallahassee. 30 degrees, what is that? 30s What's and 30s? 20s, right. <laughs> I, I didn't have clothing, uh, you know, for that. And and every Fort Lauderdale kid that I knew was like was a was an Everglades or boat kid, right? Like a kid that spent time on the boat or going to the Everglades was, because uh, I know you you later you you've talked to some of our producers about environmentalism being an important part of FIU, um, and the and the and the study tracks and what have you. Um, I'm curious what it was like for you. Like were you were you one of those barefoot kids in the, in so the Everglades? My, yeah, my dad my dad had a boat and we would mm-hmm. go out and in, into the ocean. Uh, we would do uh, uh, airboat rides uh, in the Everglades, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that you'd bring that up because uh, my my uh, son for his twelfth birthday, uh, I wanted to do a special party. And the Everglades are beautiful, and we had never done a real trip there, so we went to Billy Swamp Safari. Uh, my son and eleven other of his friends uh, from school, and one other dad. So we had these kids. Ooh, you had a, your hands full. <laughs> and it was really an exciting uh, adventure. We, we stayed in one of the huts overnight. We did a late night swamp buggy ride. Uh, we had the infrared binoculars so they could see all the wildlife that you wouldn't normally see oh, wow. during the day. Uh, and then the next morning, we did a, a daytime uh, swamp buggy ride. We did an airboat ride. We got to see the, the, the alligators. We're walking out on these very narrow docks with alligators on either side. Wow. It was just an experience. You appreciate South Florida in a way that, that someone from the outside might not. Like, you really, you, I mean, the fact that you're, you're taking your son out there for a thing, for a thing now, that connecting back to, to something that was part of your childhood, you know, that's something that you don't always get if you're... If you're coming to South Florida, you, you don't always get it. And until you can experience the beauty of the Everglades, uh, the beauty of the bay, uh, the beauty of the ocean, the beauty of the keys and the estuaries, uh, you don't really feel the need to protect them. Once you see them, you want to do anything and everything you can to protect uh, those areas, those beautiful, beautiful areas of our country. I'm curious because you, uh, just reading about you, that you have a, a background in real estate, yes. uh, which like that's such a South, that's just a perfect South Florida background, but also having that environmental background, how do those two work together? In other words, you know, we, we hear so much, so many horror stories about, you know, wanting to push the development line, you know, further West and, or further South and into these sensitive areas. How do you think about that differently? Well, you, you have to think about things, you know, differently. We know that we have... We have needs for housing, so we have to think about better ways of providing housing, you know, more density, uh, redevelopment in areas, so you don't have to uh, impose on you know, the areas outside their urban development boundary. That was FIU President Kenneth Jessel speaking to host Carlos Frias in September. Still to come, we'll hear about Ken's vision for the future of FIU, and he'll do a little show and tell. Welcome back to Sundial on WLRN during our winter membership drive. I'm Elisa Baena, a producer for Sundial. Let's get back to our conversation with FIU President Kenneth Jessel. He joined Carlos Frias in September. 
you know, I, I want to talk a little bit more, yes, about the future of FIU, but also um, I, like you, like your personal connection to South Florida is so interesting to me. You've raised a family here. Tell me a little bit about how, like how you try to make, like how you try to look at, live within South Florida. Tell me about your, you have kids, you said you have a son. I, I have a, uh, a son and I have a daughter and two grandsons. Oh wow! So you, so you become very busy all of a sudden in your in your personal life as well. Yes. What what kind of things do you like to do with them? What kind of things, especially with your grandchildren? I mean, when you talk about getting them, you know, you're talking about generations of people growing up in a place. What kind of things would you like for them to experience? Well, my uh, daughter and her husband and two grandsons live in Charlotte, uh, so I don't get to see them mm -hmm. uh, uh, as often as I would like. Mm -hmm. But when we get together, we like to have uh, you know great times. My second grandson was born uh, just a little over eight weeks ago. Oh, my goodness. Congrats. Uh, uh, July 14th. So I was very blessed to be up there uh, the day that he was born. Uh, my wife was up there for actually two months. So she had a, <laughs> she had a wonderful time both Great. before and, uh, and after uh, my grandson was born. And luckily for FaceTime, I get to talk to my uh, two-and-a-half-year-old grandson uh, pretty regularly. <laughs> that, must be, that must be a trip. Like, what a you know, what a, what a, a way to be able to stay in touch with them, right? It, it, it's, it's incredible that we have that technology. Uh, what do you, I mean, you're, I was reading a little bit about your background. You, are you still doing research? Do you still, t still spend time doing research even within your job? So I'm not doing any active research. I have no time. So just keeping track of the research is a job in itself. <laughs> well, I know that you do stay busy with some hobbies because you brought in two little packages. And, I, and anytime somebody shows up <laughs> in the studio ready to do some show and tell, we are always excited. So there's a little orange box with a rubber band around it and something else wrapped. What are, what are we looking yes. at? So I have a hobby that I picked up probably 30 years ago. Okay. And that is antique silver. Antique silver? Yes. Okay. Where does that come from? So... It's, it's uh, interesting how I, I got into it. I had been at a neighborhood garage sale, literally mm -hmm. a garage sale right down the street, mm -hmm. and I bought this small piece of silver that had interesting marks on it. And those marks uh, created a passion because as I was researching the marks, I realized uh, how important they were to ensuring the integrity uh, of the piece quality-wise. Hmm. So. If I take a simple example, and I've got the two here, but a simple example, uh, the marking system in the United Kingdom goes back uh, literally to the 13th century. And, wow. be and beginning in the 1300s, they had a very elaborate marking system. So you knew who made the piece of silver, uh, when it was made, where it was surveyed for the right quality, and the composition of the materials see these things fascinate me because uh, again I, I come from an immigrant family and like we don't have heirlooms you know there are there's no such thing as an heirloom in our family you know um, and and it it's always interesting to me when when people are you know uh, you know can create something that they can have from themselves but also pass down things that are connected to, to past generations correct so these these are obviously heirlooms from you know, prior generations. Mm -hmm. So the, the first one... What are we looking at here? ...is a small portrait of Madonna and Child by Mario Bucciolati. This is probably from the 1930s. It's only, as you can see, about two and a half by three and a half uh, inches. Right, it's got it's, these, uh, these stones that look like it, turquoise. Turquoise stones, uh, sterling silver frame with uh, 14 karat gold 
uh, rosettes on it. And oh my it's goodness. freestanding. Uh, this would have been hand-carved by uh, someone in Mario Bucciolati's uh, studio in the 30s on an organic material. But it has a built-in stand on the back, so it's all self-contained. It has a little flip pin that you could actually mount it to the wall if you wanted to, but most of the time this would be a bedside dresser. We, we have all our producers peeking into the, through the control room windows, and they all want to take a look, and <laughs> we're going to pass them around. But I, I'm curious, like, this is... Um, like having a hobby like this, how does this help? Like kind of balance your personality versus like it, you know what I mean? You know, it gives you uh, time for a distraction. Mm -hmm. I do believe it's important to rest the mind. Yeah. And this is something that uh, to me is very fulfilling. I'm looking at this piece, I'm looking at the artistry, not mm -hmm. only by the silversmith that created the frame, but the engraver of, of the drawing. And this would, this, actual portrait is based on a painting by uh, Sandro Botticelli in about 1475 wow. that is in the Louvre. So if you if you look at that uh, painting, you can see how the artist here just captured a part of it uh, to create an image that calls out to you. Right. And when I saw this, uh, I'm just admiring all the different aspects of it. The artist, uh, uh, that did the engraving and the, and the and the, the the silversmith, and I said this truly reflects the best of multiple wor worlds of art and craft. Yeah, I feel like I'm at I'm in at the Antiques Roadshow. You know what I mean? Like getting the full. Oh, and what do you, how do you follow your passion? Do you do you look for? Are you a garage sale guy? Or are you going to so, like? So once in a while we'll do. I, are you well, on the Sotheby's website? Not, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, all of those things, but we're not we're not buying uh, quite as much as we uh, we used to. But we'll we'll stop in in uh, antique shops if we're if we're driving through an area. Uh, we'll also look for estate sales that that look kind of interesting. Uh, but I look at for pieces that that are unusual. I'm curious, you know, you're in, you're at this point where you can, you know, you have you have these these hobbies that you can follow, and and I'm curious what it was like, you know, to reach this position you are in now, where you know you're you're kind of helping form young minds, you know, where where people are finding their own curiosities and such. Um, when you when you got into this position as as the president, did who were there some of the people that were, that were closest to you that were able to kind of appreciate it, right? Because your, your mom was still living when, when you were the interim president, right? It, it's, uh, yes, yeah, she was uh, alive when uh, I was uh, the interim president, and she knew that I was becoming the president. Oh, wow. And when she was in the rehab center, uh, she wanted me to give her a business card uh, so she could give to uh, one of the therapists. Oh, so she could brag, my so son, she, the, so, the university president. <laughs> yes, so she could brag. Uh, she knew that it was going to be another month before I was uh, officially confirmed by uh, the Florida Board of Governors. So my business card had on it, interim president. And I will always remember her looking at the card and saying, uh, take it back. Give me a card when it says president. <laughs> <laughs> and this is before you had really decided that this is something you wanted to pursue to be the, the permanent president. Well, at that time, I, I had had put my name in, so she knew I was going to become the president I see. at that point. But I wasn't yet the president, but she was very, very proud, for sure, uh, of that. Uh, it, it wasn't in my plan to become president, uh, but as I said earlier, mm -hmm. I love FIU. I love our students. I love our faculty, our staff, and our community. And I looked at it as an opportunity 
to serve others. And for me, it's an opportunity of a lifetime. It's a, it's a dream come true in so many ways. Right. Ken, it has been a real pleasure to be able to spend the hour with you. Thank you so much for coming in. The opportunity has been mine. Thank you. That was FIU President Kenneth Jessel. He joined Carlos Frias in September. And that's Sundial for Wednesday, December 6th. Leslie Ovaya Atkinson is our lead producer. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's Vice President of News. Katie Munoz is our Director of Live Programming. Peter J. Meritz is our VP of Radio and Sundial's engineer. Engineering our board is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program, short stories that bloom. When the Hibiscus Falls is the newest story collection of M. Evelina Galang. She's an award-winning Filipino-American writer based in Miami. I'm Elisa Baena. Keep those good vibes. <laughs>